0: You're listening to the getting swamped podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, less than two weeks away from some Florida Gator football. And Florida is primed to put another somber and dirty ending to 2021 behind them and rejuvenate the energy and the passion for this football team with a new coaching staff, new facility, and a new attitude going into 2022 before they square off here in 13 days against the Utah Utes. Joining me today to catch up on some scrimmage notes and some recruiting nuggets is none other than Blake Alderman from 24-7 Sports to catch us up on the latest in recruiting, which has picked up quite a bit of steam heading into the season. But first, as reported yesterday, the Florida versus Utah game is sold out, folks. It will be a live and packed swamp coming into the first game of the season, and I will also be down there taking in... Pretty much all the festivities, meeting up with some of the diehard Gator fans down there. Tailgating will be on the menu Saturday as well. So if you're out and about and want to hang out, tailgate, send me a DM. I'll be mainly at the Harmonic Woods tailgate near Museum Road, Lake Alice. Fantastic tailgate there. If you if you need instructions or some kind of direction on how to get there, you can DM me. Dave Waters actually knows how to get down there pretty good as well. So, Send us a DM and, uh, yeah, come join us. It's a fun time. But I'm I'm also going to stop by the Gator Collective tailgate as well near the Gator Walk. So if you're out and about near the campus, head over to the Gator Walk. Find the Gator Collective tailgate and give them a shout-out. They will have events, things going on there as well. But that's for a few Saturdays from now. We still got scrimmages and recruiting never stops. And as what head had coach tried to tell us in the past that it, it wasn't recruiting season – billy napier and staff said it's always recruiting season here in the swamp and catching us up on the practices scrimmages, and recruiting will be none other than blake alderman from 24 7 sports and we will have that interview here in a few moments on getting swamped coming up need a sign for your company your man cave your live stream or podcast give my guy brandon white a shout out at white and sons wood carving he has the best handcrafted signs nationally all custom fit for your needs with state-of-the-art paint and epoxy you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom leds as a package as well give him a shout out on twitter at ws wood carving you can also follow him on twitch and check out his facebook page at white and sons Woodcarving. top of the line signs made from scratch College programs must be competitive in name, image, and likeness. It impacts current athletes and affects the decisions of recruits. And Gator fans can put Florida at the forefront of NIL. The Gator Collective is leading the charge, uniting fans and student-athletes like never before. Commit for exclusive content, interactions, and events which bring you closer than ever to your favorite players. Also, by joining the Gator Collective, you're empowering these student-athletes to build relationships and develop skills that go far beyond just making money. You're providing an avenue for these Gators to excel in life. NIL will change the landscape of college sports if we can't be left behind. Gator Nation, do your part by joining the Gator Collective today at www.thegatorcollective.com. You're listening to the Gettin' Swamped podcast with your host, David Soderquist, your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, folks, less than two weeks away here from some Florida Gators football. And if you're one of those guys that just keeps judging for college football, it's uh, actually less than a week away here uh, from this Sunday. But a lot is going on in fall camp and in the recruiting world, and I have none other than Blake Alderman here from 24-7 Sports. And, Blake, we're on the cusp of Florida Gator football right now, but some interesting tidbits coming out of fall camp. And I would be remiss to say that Florida fans are ready to see some football under the lights, in the swamp, coached by this new staff, wouldn't you say?
1: No doubt. You know, even a sold-out game, you know, talking with some of the kids, the recruits that are even coming to this game um, that have already kind of given me a heads up, you know, thinking about it, I'm coming, you know, either which way, you know, going to beat the game. Um, you know, they're excited to see it at a night game. Night games are always good. They're excited to see a sold-out crowd, so it should be electric.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Night games are always the best down there in the swamp. You get to tailgate all day if you're one of those type of people. And uh, you don't have to worry about sweating uh, when you get into the stadium. It'll, it'll still be humid, but you don't have to worry about the sun beaming down on you and getting like that white towel over your neck or anything like that. So
1: Yeah, exactly. You're not melting. It's it's a different melt. It's like, a, I'm so like, like humid melting, yeah. but it's better than just being like sunburnt, tired, just destroyed after a day with the, you know, those three 30 noon kicks. Those are brutal.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Even the Nooners. Sometimes the Nooners can even be oh, like that. Oh, they're terrible. Too. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've we heard Billy Napier talk about discipline a lot in these, uh, these scrimmages and in these pressers, and it seems to come up in just about every conference he's in. You hear about discipline. If you look at the defensive side of the football these past couple of years, discipline hasn't been the best-known word for these guys. I mean, in 2020, they gave up 30.8 points per game. And in 2021, giving up 24.7 points per game. And they started out hot, really, at the beginning, only giving up 16.5 points per game through the first six games, but then completely tanked, man. They give it up 35.5 points per game the last seven games. Um, you know, we hear a lot of great things here from Billy Napier, according to this defense, the past scrimmages, including the fact that defense, for the most part, has kept the offense out of the red zone. I know there's been some red zone scoring, but... The defense has been playing pretty well. Uh, Florida was giving up 85% of the uh, points in the red zone last year, so that's pretty good to hear. Uh, from what you've gathered, though, so far, Blake, uh, what's this, how's the defense coming along in these scrimmages?
1: You know, I, I think, you know, whenever you hear those numbers and you've seen them play, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you think, like, man, could it really get any worse? Um, right. You know, So that's always a positive step to start with. But I think with with this staff and this scheme, I think it's just easier for these guys to just decipher things. You know, it was kind of uh, overly said under, under Grantham that things were a little complex. Guys were maybe having to think too much about things. And I think with this defense, the scheme is more of just – Uh, You know, very, very simple, first and foremost. But if you know your role, you can play and you don't have to sit there and think about every step. It's kind of more of a free play, you know, type of scheme where it's a little bit more player friendly. So, you know, that's a good step there. You know, coming out of the scrimmage, you know, you just hear so much about Javon Dexter, you know, how to block, a field goal block, extra point. He had a special teams block, we'll call it that, you know, so that's a guy that's, you know, long and limber. Um, You know, he's getting that pressure back there. And, you know, Florida's offensive line, you know, they're talking about being eight, nine guys deep, you know, trying to figure out those types of numbers. And that's what you want to hear if you're a Florida fan, because, you know, Florida fans before it was kind of like, you know, having to bet you know, on, on the st- starting five and just like, you know, kind of saying a, a hail Mary before each play, like, please nobody go down. So it's good to see that depth there. Um, you know, you continue to hear that that was a, uh, going to be a strength for this offense and and it's good to kind of see that there's depth numbers there that there's guys that they can start to feel like they can count on so that's a positive step there um you know i think with anthony richardson you know there's there's no question that he's you know qb1 there's no um you know kind of like last year where it's you know there's flip-flopping quarterbacks around i think that's made him more comfortable and able to you know flash his ability not thinking you know his leash is short so you know i think the running backs you know, you see. You see the roster and you hear coming out of the scrimmage just how deep they are. How you know, a guy like Trevor Etienne, who even though he's young, is still kind of impressing some of these coaches, and how kind of easily he fits in that scheme. You know, I think wide receiver, I think that's everybody's question. You know, you even kind of heard Billy Napier say on his press conference following the scrimmage, you know, that he wished he would have seen those guys little more separation, obviously not having your transfer wide receiver out there. You know, your guy that's, you know, has been a guy that's been talked about all, all spur, excuse me, all fall camp and Ricky Pearsall. So, you know, there's pieces of this offense. A couple of guys are banged up, you know, you know, uh, Guys are dealing with some injuries here. Nothing may be serious that should affect their play coming for that week one. But, you know, you, you hear that the, the the depth is something to concern for Florida. You know, obviously that's something to keep an eye on this season. But there's a lot of bright spots. You know, the, those, those guys in that running back rotation, Anthony Richardson seemingly looking to have a breakout year in that offensive line, I think will take them a good ways.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned special teams, man, because Florida, I think they were dead last in special team yardage last year. And uh, no block kicks, no – you didn't really see anything on special teams. It wasn't anything interesting to look at. And when you go back and look at the history, you know, Florida's had some really good special teams. You go back to Andre DeBose where, you know, he was returning a kick just about every single season, it seemed like. And then after him, you had Antonio Callaway. That was the guy on special teams. But then after that, it just kind of dipped. You didn't really see anything that was that explosive – Or many block kicks. You saw them every now and then, but it wasn't a consistent thing that you saw. So, And I I know Billy Napier in these press conferences, he was talking about how special teams and game changers and, and how they're concentrating on that in these scrimmages. Have you heard anything about any kind of special teams?
1: You know, more so, I think Trey Smack is going to be that guy for Florida. He had, a, a, I think, a long field goal connection. I don't remember the yardage off the top of my head, but yeah. it was an encouraging for a freshman. So, you know, I think that you could always kind of expect there could be some growing pains having a freshman kicker, um, even though he is a guy that's coming in pretty heralded as far as kicking, um, you know, rankings and whatnot. You know, there's all this kicking-like sites that rank guys that, you know, I'm out on those. But, you know, he's a guy that's coming in kickball goes ball far. Does the ball go far? That's what you're getting with Trace Mack. So, um, you know, like I said, there could be some growing pains, but as, among that, you know, as far as return guys, um, you know, I haven't really heard much of that. You know, I've kind of just had to deal with, you know, what I've read through Jacob Rudner, Graham Hall, my coworkers there. But you know, I think that from what I at least understand from the writing is that they seem to be kind of shopping guys around there to see who maybe is their best bet there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Looking back at the uh, Louisiana Lafayette, how their special teams operated, you uh, saw a lot of returns, I think, from Chris Smith or somewhere. I think there was one game where he had two kickoff returns against one of the teams. So, I mean, at least it's good to see that they're taking a concentration on special teams. And from what we saw in the, in the spring game, we didn't really see a really good kicking game. So we're blessed to have Trey Smack here. And, uh, you know, hopefully he has a pretty good season there as well, being the fifth ranked kicker on Coles kicking, five-star guy. So, We'll see what happens with special teams this year, but let's get into a little bit more of the offense. Uh, We'll talk a little bit of Anthony Richardson here. You know, last year, uh, Emory Jones only passed for 2,734 yards, 19 touchdowns, but he combined 13 interceptions with those touchdowns. So not a good touchdown to interception ratio there. Uh, Florida only averaged 27.4 points per game, 236.6 passing, you know, Emory Jones at Arizona State now, Richardson seemed to be the huge spark on this offense, at least last year, when you saw him in at times, even with, you know, the injury that he had had that he needed to get surgery from the little minor meniscus there. Uh, But you saw flashes, right? Um, What's the word on Richardson? Now, I've heard he's thrown a couple picks, maybe a pick six or so, but he's also had some really good explosive plays as well. Can you uh, give us the word on Richardson?
1: You know, I think with him, you know, the the – the general consensus from Billy Napier's offense is you're going to want a quarterback that's going to be able to run. And I think that's where Anthony brings that, yeah. that X factor. Some of those plays you saw last year where he'd you know tucked the ball and run it. Granted, there were some great passing plays, you see things zip, but those running plays, he just looked dominant, like where he just completely, you know, jumped over a guy. He was just he's a big body type of guy. So I think he brings a wrinkle in that running game where they're gonna have those those guys in the backfield that are gonna have rotations there. I think you're gonna see Anthony Richardson get involved there. So you know it's it's really positive with what Florida looks like they're gonna have from the rushing game as far as even him there, um, excuse me, in there. Um, but, you know, from the passing game, I think that, you know, it, it's all about, you know, those guys, those wide receivers, you know, it's going to come down to can Anthony Richardson make that wide receiver group better which I think he has the ability to do that you know we're going to have to wait and see where things go um, as he learns being a young guy and being the first time kind of taking those reins of the team um, but you know I think there's you know he he's getting those those early NFL draft you know buzz early for a reason you see him he's you know built great he can run the ball he's got a strong arm he hits that pop on his pass so you know I, I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to learn on the fly being young and being the first guy, you know, his first chance of, you know, being the guy for Florida, but you know, all through, you know, fall camp, you know, you, you're going to throw some picks, you know, you're going to throw some things, you know, you're trying to figure out wrinkles in the offense. Those things don't really deter me there, but you know, the plays that he has made, you just continue to hear about his leadership. You know, he's kind of taking that next step. He's had some, you know, some offseason headlines. And I think he's, I think more than ever, he's more focused on ball. And I think that those things kind of made him focus on what he can control. And that's what he puts in a practice and how he develops and just what he absorbed from this coaching staff. And I think that's been positive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like even if you look back at the last spring scrimmages that we had last year, you would hear a lot about Emory Jones and, and Richardson looking like the better quarterback. You're not really hearing that this time, I- this year. Right. So it's really good to see. Uh, but speaking of the backups, uh, I've, I've heard that Jack Miller. You know, we've seen him in the spring game. Didn't really look too good in the spring game. But I've heard through these spring scrimmages and all that that he's actually been thrown in tight windows, starting to get down the offense a little bit. You know, he only had less than forty snaps at Ohio State. Has to learn to do offense. So that's going to happen. There's going to be a little bit of growing pains there. Um, what have you heard from Jack Miller is he starting to uh you know kind of find his rhythm a little bit
1: it seems like it you know I've heard a lot of those things and read a lot of the things that you said about Miller being, you know having that pop on his pass being able to fit things in tight windows I think that his grasp of the offense gets a lot better and you know Billy Napier brought him for a reason you know he evaluated him when he was at Arizona State he knows what to expect with him he knows what makes him tick how to work with him so you know it's, it's he's kind of like you know he's been in college longer being that career backup hasn't had the snaps. Like you said, he's still kind of like, you know, like, like a ball of molding clay, you know, I mean, he's still learning things there. He's learning on the fly. I think he gets better grabs of the offense. I think he's truly, you know, a, a very good backup, you know, and I think that gives a little bit of fans a sigh of relief just in case something happened when they, in case anything happened with Anthony Richardson, you would think it's going to take a step back just because the talent Anthony Richardson has, but, you know, being able to be a game manager maybe, or, you know, being able to put that place on the ball, you know, those were things that make Kyle Trask really great. You know, the placement he had on those balls. And if, if, Miller can do those types of things granted he has been dealing with a little bit of I believe it is a thumb injury not sure what's going on there don't know how minor the severity you know all those things but you know you're going to want to get him healthy either way because that's a really serviceable back serviceable backup because you know Jalen Kitten has been out with some injury too he's been missing from practice so Florida's really going to need you know Miller to be on the men there so they don't have to throw in you know a Kyle Engel or you know a you know a a Max Brown you know some of those younger guys in there that you don't want to see you know granted if something happens but um, you know Miller, you know, the, the things that have been said, you know, but I also kind of take that with a grain of salt because there was a lot of positive said about him in spring practice. And then the spring game didn't look so well, you know, kind of didn't correlate between those two things. So I always say maybe take it with a grain of salt there, but the positive, the, excuse me, the, the message coming out of him after, you know, the first couple of practices there in fall camp have been positive.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear. You always want to hear positive signs about your backup quarterback as well because, as like you said, you behind Richardson, that's who you got right there. But, you know, after Richardson, or even if something happens to Jack Miller, <laughs> I mean, you're really putting a tough spot there. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, you know, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of the schedule and you get to play in some of these USFs and, and, and some of the lower-tier schools of the world, and maybe you can, you know, get a good 30-point lead or something like that, put him in there and get him some experience there at the backup Definitely. quarterback position. So. Yeah, definitely uh, something that the last staff never really took advantage of with the with the other quarterbacks. But uh, let's go ahead. We'll talk running game here real quick. Uh, last year, Florida averaged 206.4 rushing yards per game, which is really good, is in the top 25. Now, we've heard great things about Richardson, his explosive runs. Have you heard anything else about some of these running backs, Lingard, uh, Montreal Johnson, some of these guys?
1: You know, I— one guy that, you know, and he's a young guy, you know, Trevor Etienne, I mentioned him earlier. There's been a lot of positive talk of him. You know, He looks mm-hmm. like he's having a good fall camp so far. I always wonder if that's just a young guy that's just getting those reps and he's shining but it's just hard whenever you have such a clogged up log jam at running back. And it's not a bad problem to have with how you want to run offense with Billy Napier. Um, you know, I, I think that Montreal Johnson, um, knowing the offense coming in there from ULL, I think that the transition is going to be easy. He brings a different dynamic being that bruising back there um, at Florida, but Naquan Wright has been the guy that, you know, he's, he's slippery. He can catch the ball in the backfield. I think he's the guy that really takes that next step next or this coming up season. And I think he's going to be kind of that, you know, the leader of that three headed monster that Florida has with those deep I mean, even four headed monster, if you want to even if, if ETN does get those snaps, even if they're a couple in a game, you know, I think that Nate Wright's going to be that guy leading the pack out of that group.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and since you have such a log, Jabe, they're at running back. Who knows? We just talked about special teams just a minute ago. Maybe you see one of those guys return a kick or something like that. If they can catch a punt, catch kicks up like that. I know most teams kicking sure. it or, at, or kicking it out of bounds now, but you know, maybe you get a punt or something in there, throw it in there. But anyway, man, let's let's flip it here real quick, you know, tight in. You know, that was a huge question mark considering the losses that we had. Uh, You know, going back to Billy Napier's tenure there he had at Lafayette, and I pulled these stats uh, a couple months ago, uh, he used his tight ends in blocking situations 14% more times than Dan Mullen did. He had him block 66.3% of the time in his offense, and only 33.7% of the time the tight ends were actually going out for a route run. Um, first, how's the tight end production from what you know, so far, do you expect Billy Napier to kind of replicate what he did with the tight ends over there at a Lafayette with the, you know, SEC? I think
1: so. I, I do think so. You know, and I think that Dante Zanders, you know, the guy who's, you know, defensive end turned tight end, which was formerly a tight end. It's, you know, a weird twist of events. they recruited as a tight end, moved to defense and then back to tight end. Yeah. Um, but he brings that size, he brings that power. Um, I think he's more of a guy that's that's gonna be one of those maybe you know impactful blockers. Um, I think Keon Zipper you know, he's another guy too, that he's always been built more like an H back type of guy. And that's how he was used in some shades under Dan Mullen. And I think you could see that in Billy Napier's offense. He's a guy that also likes to use those types of guys in the offense. So I think he's got two guys and, you know, even from practice this past week, one thing my coworker, Jacob Rudner wrote when he was watching that tight ends group was how strong he thought that, you know, the the drills they were running that zip had on that blocking game. So I think you've got two capable blockers, you know, past that it's still kind of wait and see Nick Elksness, you know, coming back. that injury um last season you know or excuse me in the spring was dealing with that um you know I think that he's a guy that's got a lot of potential maybe more so in the passing game because I think he's got that build of you know a guy that will be there eventually as a blocker and I think he's made leaps and bounds because that's just how what happens as your body transforms in college but you know I think that he's one that can make an impact I'm interested to see Arliss Boardingham. you know I don't know if that's a guy that's going to get those snaps in the season but he's more of a you know, it it stinks to throw the the link out there, but he's got that Kyle Pitts type body. You know, he's yeah. You know, not not to say he's going to be the next Kyle Pitts because that's a hard guy to match up. You you know, he, he's he's grown too. He's
0: grown quite he's, a bit, sure. A, and he yeah. but he's
1: got that same build to where I'm interested to see what you know, Billy Napier could do with him in some gimmicks as his game continues to grow, he gets more comfortable and maybe takes a larger role down the road for Florida. But I think that guys like Xanders and zip are going to bring a lot of uh, that dynamic to the, to the running game as blockers. And I think that that's where, you know, you've got kind of used to seeing some of those guys and, you know, having Kyle Pitts last couple of years. of just what Florida did tight end wise, you know, production wise, I think you're going to see them more of a blocking role this year. And I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's where their bread and butter is going to be. And that's been positive what we've seen through, through fall camp so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. especially from what I saw in the spring game a little bit from him. I kind of actually did like what I saw. I mean, it looked like, uh, you know, it, you know Dante laying now Dante Sanders, uh he's just been there for so long. and you, you see the kind of production that he had just in the spring game, and you're like, wow, man, I didn't expect that from him. So maybe that might be kind of a bright spot for him. I mean, you know, Billy Napier, he talks about Dante Sanders being a godsend in a lot of his pressers and, uh, and all of that. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens there at tight end. But since we're sticking there, On tight end, we're going to turn the page a little bit here to recruiting. Um, Speaking of tight end, Florida has no tight ends right now in their class. It doesn't look like, or from what I know, I'm not the biggest recruiting expert. It doesn't look like Florida is really targeting any kind of tight ends, unless I am wrong. But can you uh, elaborate a little bit more? Do you think they go after a tight end this cycle?
1: No, I don't. I don't. I think you're right on. Um, You know, they they signed... Um, three guys last year, obviously still waiting on Tony Livingston, who's looking more like a gray shirt situation where he'll join the team around January, start of the spring yeah. semester there. You know, Hayden Hansen, he signed last year um, Arlis Boardingham, who I mentioned, I think Hayden Hansen is a guy that the coaching staff, you know, you look at the rankings and I know all the people that don't follow recruiting, but you know, deep and they see their stars and they see the ranking. They're like, Oh God, what is, you know, what is this? But he's a guy that the staff really likes, you know, they went out and he was committed to them at ULL. A lot of those guys, um, had a really good camp showing there. They, they are really high on him, you know, not in a, in a role to maybe where you see him this year? You know, could you see him maybe next year down the road? You know, I think that he's a guy that again, you know, just in the future that are really high on there. So I think whenever you've got those guys, what you've signed there, you know, what you've got, I think they continue to figure those things out going forward, you know, just seeing what they've got from the roster. Um, could that change down the road as far as taking a tight end later? you know who knows it's recruiting it changes by the day sometimes but as of right now i do not expect florida to go for a tight end unless his name is deuce robinson who is the top tight end in the 2023 class if a guy like that wanted to jump on board florida's changing that plan all day you know they're going down that road but as of right now you know they, they were recruiting some guys earlier on this year kind of backed off some of those guys end up at other schools really haven't chased any other guys since then
0: yeah definitely you ever see an elite I guess tight end in, in the class. You definitely want to go after that guy. And, and you never know. Maybe when the portal comes up, maybe they take somebody out of there as well. You, sure. you don't really know um, towards, I guess, in August. I mean, we still got till February. But, uh, man, Florida's class right now sits 90% almost in blue chips. About 40% of them are on the offensive side of the ball, 60% about it, or are on the defensive side of the ball. 50% of that 60% of the defensive side of the ball are all defensive linemen. And I hope I didn't confuse anybody with all that math there. Uh, Blake, real quick, uh, where do you expect these percentages of offense and defense between those two to wind up at the end of the cycle? And uh, Do you uh, expect—I guess just tell me where you expect uh, Florida to wind up offensively and defensively uh, in this end of the class.
1: You know, I think— as far as spots remaining, when you look at the board and some of those guys that are still on there, most likely guys, you know, and that could be a stretch for some guys, but you know, as far as the, the board top to bottom, let's say, you know, the yeah. chances of guys factor out if they're coming to Florida or not, but just the chances overall. A lot of those guys that Florida is really in it for are on the defensive side. You know, you've got five star Cormonti McLean, you've got five star James Smith, five star Quay Rashaw. Both of those guys are five stars out there in the state of Alabama. Um, you look at, you know, top 100, de- you know, cornerback Dijon Johnson, top 100 defensive lineman, Jordan Hall. Those are all guys that are top targets for Florida and they're all defensive guys. Yeah. The offensive line. I think that's where there's still some, some give and take, you know, they've got some guys, you know, a guy like Caleb, uh, probably butchering his name. I haven't you know actually met him in person. Lomu. Um, he's from a four-star offensive lineman from out in the state of Arizona. Um, he's coming for an unofficial visit for the Utah game. So he'll be there. First chance to see Florida was offered back there in the end of July, maybe right after I think Friday night lights or somewhere around Friday night lights. So, you know, you know, guy like Caden Jones on the offensive line, I think that where you've got Florida, you've got a running back, maybe play the field and see where things are at as far as maybe a second guy. Um, really there's not any targets that just jump off the board for me right now, as far as offers or guys they've, you know, are actively chasing after wide receiver. You've done a great job already. You know, maybe if an elite guy shakes out down the road, you know, obviously you fill in there as you continue to push that roster. But as far as offense, you look at just what they've recruited so far and what they've got offensive line really seems like the only need that's left, you know? And again, that's where I say, we'll see what happens with the board. As far as it, as it expand, could it be something where they chase guys in the portal, you know, as guys pop in there, as season goes along, I think that's also extremely likely. Um, but, you know, as far as needs, they're going to not, they're, they're going to load up on defensive linemen. There's really, you know, could they go five to six range? I think maybe that's more likely of what they would ideally like to do. Um, but, you know, if there's a guy that wants in, they know they need bodies there linebacker. They've got Jade Robinson after flipping him from South Carolina or from flipping him from, yes, South Carolina, um, you know, earlier this month, I think that, they could maybe kick the tires on some more guys there, maybe would like another linebacker, depending on who it is. I don't think they're going to go take a stretch. You know, they're not going to go deep, yeah. dig deep in the, you know, the the Randy specials type box. Um, but, you know, defensive back, I think, again, you know, guys like Dijon Johnson, I think they've done an okay job with safety so far. Um, but, you know, Cormani McClain, Dijon Johnson seem like those big fish out there for Florida. So, you know, there's not a lot of needs overall because, again, you've got 20 commits in the class now. The portal, I think, could change that of maybe what they do with, you know, you know, targeting positions. Um, could that be linebacker? Could that be offensive line? You know, We'll see how that goes down the road. But I think whenever you look at just needs and what you need to fill up, I think there's just more on the defensive side of the ball. So I think that's why a lot of those remaining targets are those defensive guys.
0: Yeah, I'm not gonna complain if they take a top two fifty anything. So <laughs> you're not gonna hear a complaint from me. Uh yeah, and, and when you talk about offensive line, I mean they got a guy six foot five, three thirty, and Bryce Lovett. Uh you got another guy in Nigia Harris, six foot three, three thirty-five. And, and and I've hear I've heard this a lot, Blake. And I want to get your opinion on it. Um, we got positions out there, skill positions and positions on the line, and, and they're all evaluated. They're, you know, scouted by a lot of guys and they give them the stars. Is offensive line the hardest one to scout out of them all?
1: Absolutely. You know, I think, and that's because it's kind of like my line, my company line. I always use these guys are eating Big Macs and large pizzas. You know, they're (laughs) not in they're not in you know the weight training they're not in the nutrition plans you never know how a guy is going to shape his body to where you see a lot of those kind of you know feel good stories of a guy that maybe is kind of a big blobby guy you know coming out of high school but gets into those college weightlifting programs and the nutrition programs changes his body maybe moves okay for a big man but as you transform the body there's just so many guys that their stock can just completely just rise you know as as you yeah. go through the college program whether you're there as an early enrollee in the spring get there and get your feet wet, you know, in the summer as a freshman. this just so – it's so hard. You know, again, can you look at some of these players that are, you know, the high five-stars, the high four-star types of guys and see the frame, see how they move? Like, some of these guys, you look at it like, oh, yeah, I mean, this guy's a bona fide freak. Like, yeah. those ones are the ones you always know. But I think that it's tough, again, because there's some guys that maybe develop later, you know, as far as, um, you know – I think Austin Barber is a good example for that. As a mm-hmm. junior, he was one of those guys that was maybe a little too flabby. It was kind of, you know, had that baby fat kind of still on him. But as his senior year went along, his body transformed. He got quicker. He moved better with that weight loss, um, filled that fat with some, you know, some solid muscle there. And so there's just so many guys. You never know if their timeline's going to change from junior to senior year as they play or if it's going to translate from after senior year to when they get into college. So I definitely think that's the hardest position to scale.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I always thought that too, especially like I I try to look at film and anytime we get in a recruit and see how actually just to see with my own eyes to see how good they are. And uh, yeah, it's the offensive line is just so hard for me to like tell. I mean, it really is. I mean, I guess when you can go by hand quickness and all that other kind of stuff, maybe you could do that or athleticism rolling out from like the third spot all the way to the edge spot somewhere like that. I always try to look at that, but really it, it, I, I find it the hardest thing to like actually look at and try to scout to see if somebody's, you know, better on a skill level there. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll change the subject here a little bit, man. Um, you know, last cycle, Florida took 28 guys. Uh, they took 29. This is overall, this is between transfer portal and high school. Um, you know, there was some attrition, you know, you had the Elijah blades scenario. Then you had DeMarcus Bowman, him going to UCF. Uh, Do you see Florida taking more than 25 this cycle?
1: I think so. And I think that that's a situation where I don't know that I can give you a complete answer maybe right now, because I think a lot of that depends on um, who would want in, in certain instances, and I think that that's because if I had to bet, yes or no, I do think they go over, over the 25 limit. And I think that's because the the goal of this class is to bring in as many talented guys that they think that they can get production out of. Um, they, you know, maybe highly regarded players already coming into college. You know, they want to push this roster. You know, if they want to continue to push this roster, uh, make those guys, you know, that are, you know, on the depth chart um, work a little bit harder, whether that improves their game or if, you know, if, if it happens in football, a guy gets passed up. So I think that that's the plan for them um is to just continue to push this roster and depending on what that number is we'll see but i think again it, the, the number depends more on the who i think that's the biggest thing is is who it may want to be when you start crunching those types of numbers
0: yeah definitely absolutely man uh, it's something i can't figure out so i'll just let the staff deal with that. they will problem. drive
1: you crazy numbers <laughs> I, I tell people all the time they want to ask it's it's just it's unpredictable at times. You never know. The, crunching the numbers and figuring things out. You know, whenever you have a, a scholarship breakdown or something, yeah. it's like you know how does how does this going to work? And it ends up working out. It's weird. It's like magic. You drive yourself crazy trying to crunch the numbers, and then it all ends up just working out anyways.
0: There's a good old saying that somebody told me. They said if the staff wants them, they're going to find a way to get them no matter what. <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. Don't worry, don't worry, Florida fans. They're going to get them no matter what if they want the guy. And speaking of guys that are out there, a couple more guys before I let you go here, Blake Keon Keely he committed from Notre Dame. There's some Florida smoke. There's some Alabama smoke. Do you know anything? You got anything on that?
1: Heavy Alabama smoke. There is some heavy Alabama smoke yep. there. Um, you know, Bama is Bama. You know, you hear kids say this all the time. He visited there at the end of July for their cookout barbecue type weekend thing they had going on there. Um, was his second visit to Alabama this year. Uh, You know, I again, you know, the allure of, you know, being the next, you know, Will Anderson, you know, from Alabama, you know, I think is something that, um, you know, it's an easy sell, you know, it's, um, it's something that, you know, and he plays that similar role there. Um, So I would say, depending on how long he wants to take his recruitment out, you know, you never know with a kid. Um, I think Alabama would be the smart pick right now, but it does seem like he's going to take some visits. I think Florida will be involved there. Um, He visited there back in March. I think weekend that first weekend of guys you know, coming on campus for quote unquote junior days, you know, if they still really have those, it's more of like a select group of guys that come in there and visit. But he was one of those guys, you know, he's obviously still been in touch with the staff, um, get him on campus and see where things go from there. I do know the first upcoming visit for him more than likely will be an official visit to Ohio state that week, one game when they host Notre Dame. Um, so that's interesting to go kind of it's like watching your ex-girlfriend you know, kind of <laughs> deal. So that's an interesting scenario there, but um, you know, I, I think right now the schools, you know, could Notre Dame still be a factor there? I think it's hard, you know, to get a guy to wind up back in the same class. It does happen. Um, but I think Alabama and Ohio state are probably the two to watch the closest right now, but I think Florida could have some upward mobility there Grew up a fan, family, you know, academics important to him, you know, family close to home, family, have Florida fam, fans in the family. Um, so I think that Florida could have some upward mobility there. I think it's just all about getting him on campus again and kind of getting that, you know, caught up in the visit type of feeling, getting more time around the staff in person. It's a little different talking to guys over phone or however you get in touch with kids nowadays. Um, but, you know, I think that that's kind of the next step for Florida there, but I say right now, none of that matters because Alabama is a team that I say is to watch the most.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. Keon Keelah, got to keep an eye on there for you Florida Gator fans. And uh, DeJon Johnson, man, uh, plans to visit Florida here in the future. A lot of people thought he was going to commit right after Friday, uh, Friday Night Lights. Uh, what's the latest you got on him besides his visits and all that? Does he plan to visit anywhere else or anything like that?
1: I'm not sure on that yet. The plan from him whenever he did open things back up, because there was a lot of buzz that he was going to flip to Florida around that time of Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that didn't happen. He opened his recruitment back up. The feeling I've got is that visits will happen, but where they will happen seem to be kind of unknown. And even as far as, you know, him talking about top schools, I think Alabama um, I think Florida is the team to beat the leader in the clubhouse. If you will, I think Miami is worth keeping an eye on if they can get him on campus there. Um, so I think that that one stretches a little bit. I don't know how long maybe it stretches in there. Does he take it all the way to signing day? I would lean towards no, but I do think he'll take some visits and kind of test the waters and see what's out there, but it's good for Florida. They've got him on campus again right there for that season opener. He's expected to be there at least for that Utah game. So another chance to get him around the guys in the class, you know, the coaches, whether you get there before or after the game, Corey Raymond and Billy Napier have done a really good job with him, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, having Corey Raymond in your corner is going to be something that carries Florida deep through this recruitment, however it lasts.
0: Yeah, having Corey Rabin on your staff is going to keep you in contention with just about any quarter in a class, <laughs> but it, it's <laughs> exactly. also it's a good weapon to have on your staff, I'll guarantee you that. Well, Blake, thank you for uh, giving us an update here on the fall scrimmages, the practices here, and some recruiting updates as well, man. What you guys got coming up for us at
1: 24-7? Yeah, you know, I know that uh, Graham and Jacob are working on kind of doing some some podcasts, you know, position by position breakdowns, obviously they cover every practice, you know, having those notes, insider notes from practice, insider notes from scrimmages when those happen. And, as much as it's a dead period right now, and everyone thinks that recruiting goes to sleep, it's not been a, a slow August. So I'm staying busy with that. You know, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, that season opener, having those guys, you know, come on campus and you know go check things out. I'm going to start putting that visitor list together. I've already started to kind of put some stories out and some updates out of guys that have already confirmed their plans to be there for for that season opener. So it's going to pick up soon. Football season is almost here. It's exciting times.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I bet you with this last month and this last past weekend, you guys have been busy like crazy. <laughs> so I know with the uh, the whole motto of twenty four seven, it really lives up to its uh, it lives up to its name. <laughs> so uh, Blake, thank you for joining me here on Getting Swap, man. And uh, as I said, man, I have a lot of respect for you, man. You've been doing this for a long time, and ever since I was like I don't even know, probably in my twenties. So uh, I've kept up with you for a long time, and I'm thank- thankful that we could do this collab here on uh, Getting Swap, man.
1: Yeah, awesome. I appreciate you having me on. This was great.
0: Definitely. All right. That was Blake Alderman there from 24-7 Sports. I spoke with him later on in the week there with that interview to get some scrimmage and recruiting notes. And we never really mentioned Jack Miller's injury much, but it looks like he had jammed his thumb on a helmet. We'll need minor surgery and hoping to get him back here in a few weeks. We'll see. But I will say this. At least it's a thumb injury and not like a complete broken hand or something like that. So hopefully he can heal up quick because he'll definitely be needed to get more acclimated with this new offense, this team, and and hopefully he's healthy by the USF game that I I, I don't really see us losing and and being a barn burner with. Maybe he can, you know, get some in-game experience there before a big matchup there with Tennessee. But speaking of big matchups, man, man, oh man, if you didn't watch it last night and you picked Leon Edwards in your lineup... I bet you're extremely happy this morning with those odds. That kick on Usman was brutal, dude. But you don't have to brutalize your wallet when you sign up for prizepicks.com. Join prizepicks.com right now with promo code SWAMP to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePicks offers every sport that you can think of, like UFC, esports, baseball, college football, soccer, you name it, they have it. PrizePix has an easy-to-use mobile app and is rated 4.8 stars out of thousands of reviews. PrizePix offers safe and fast withdrawals. PrizePix also allows you to pick between multiple sports in one setting. I mean, you could have been on Edwards last night, and then one of the Braves players had made out like a bandit. So let your boy David Soderquist help you out when you join PrizePix.com with promo code SWAMP to double your money up to $100 on your first deposit. PrizePix.com. Daily fantasy simplified you're listening to getting swamped with david soderquist all right man fall scrimmages practice will be almost over with as we will get into the week in preparation here for utah and blake alderman and me discuss quite a few bugaboos that happened last year. And I did some research on where Florida could vastly improve this team from its woes from last year, and I, I don't think it's any surprise. I mean, that team was just completely undisciplined last year. But let's run down a little bit of things that could just help vastly improve the team and make them even more better than just a 6-6 six and six team that SEC Network and some other factions have them at 7-5. and five. So one thing that was mentioned, and you know how I am, Special teams, in Dan Mullen's tenure from 2018 to 2021, Florida was 13th in the SEC in special teams yardage with 1,707 yards total over the course of four years and dead last in yards per attempt with 11.6 yards per attempt so we definitely need to see more special teams play because it it can be the deciding factor especially in one score games everyone remembers that kentucky game last year you know inexcusable game to lose and and it took some major penalties and heroics from kentucky uh, their special teams to help them win that game over florida I mean, everybody knows that block kick and and how they got points off of everything uh, out of that. So, you know, these close games, and you go back to look at the Texas A&M game when they played Alabama. I mean, Texas A&M does not return that kick or does not get good yardage positions. They don't beat Alabama. So special teams are really key, especially in close games, and makes games a lot easier on your offense. So Florida's longest kickoff return last year was from Malik Davis with a 33-yard kickoff return. He amassed 319 total kickoff return yards out of the 400 yards that we actually had on special teams. So he was mainly the 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 guy that that got most of the kickoff return yardage and he only had 14 total returns. So you know Malik Davis isn't on this football team anymore here folks. The second longest run of a Florida Gator on special teams last year was Lloyd Summerall, a freaking edge guy. (laughs) That's pretty rough. So with Fenley Graham gone, Bowman gone, who takes over the helm and kickoff coverage and returns? We'll be interesting to find out here in the future, that's for sure. But that's not all Florida can improve on here. Last year, Florida gave up 60.8% of their targets to opponents for a total of 2,664 yards, and 1,556 of those yards would be yards after the catch, man. Ouch. You, you know what causes a lot of yards after the catch? Miss tackles. Florida just last year had a total of 132 missed tackles, which is actually seventh in the SEC, so dead in the middle. But they gave up 1,556 yards after the catch, which is ninth in the SEC amongst the 14 teams. Got to get those numbers better, man. Also, Florida was also 102nd in the nation in giveaways per game, which are turnovers to the other team. Last year, Florida had a combined total of 27 touchdowns and 18 interceptions, a 33% interception rate to touchdown rate. So this isn't even counting fumbles and other things of that nature into factor. So, now, Emory Jones, he, he was also responsible for those 13 interceptions, but he's not on the team anymore. But Richardson had a touchdown to interception ratio of six touchdowns to five interceptions, which is an even worse touchdown to interception ratio rate. But we all know most of that came from the Georgia game where he started and Mullen kind of just threw him in there to the Wolves with hardly any game plan. So... You know, with not much playing time for Richardson after that either. So uh, we all know that story. So I guess I could give Richardson a little bit of a pass there. He was kind of just thrown in there, and uh, yeah, did fumble the ball one on one play. You got to you know, you got to hold on to the football. You know, driving about five or six Georgia players with him, so you can see where the uh the, the physical abilities of Anthony Richardson could come in there if needed. So you know, cut down on the fumbles, cut down on the turnovers. This team will be uh, completely. You know, revamped team, and and, and if you even want to go there, Billy Napier just last year at Louisiana Lafayette ranked first in the nation in giveaways per game, only giving away .5 turnovers per game, so... If you're worried about that happening again this year, it could maybe. I just don't think you're going to see a lot more of it, or even more than what you saw last year, because Billy Napier harping on big time turnovers and not helping the other team out. It's you know he says it's undisciplined penalties, undisciplined turnovers. So if you're worried about that, I, I wouldn't be. I think those numbers will improve this year, especially Patrick Tony in this defense as well the defense being more simpler as you hear it from all the other players. So look to see a little bit more improvement just defensively, first of all, and in turnovers because the turnovers are really what killed us in some of these games. I mean, if you go back to that Georgia game that I was just talking about, I mean, you minus the two to three minutes before halftime in that game, that's a a pretty close game if you're not turning the football over, I mean. Georgia only really scored 13 points on their whole total offense when they, we had to make them drive the field. So Billy Napier really emphasizes, make the team earn it. He said it in many press conferences, you make the team earn their points. And when you don't make a team earn their points, it's because you're turning the ball over and giving them short yardage opportunities or pick sixes, which are just automatic seven points to the end zone. So definitely you will see a more improved, uh, I guess, turnover rate from uh, this squad. So that's a really good thing to to see that Lafayette was number one just in the giveaways just the last year. Now, I did mention penalties. I mean, this hurt us so much last year. Florida was ranked 119th in penalties per game, averaging 7.8 penalties per game. They were also giving up an average of 69.1 yards in penalties per game, which is 118th in the nation, and I'm pretty sure dead last in the SEC in both of those categories. Uh, Florida also gave up a total of 53 penalties on offense between accepted, declined, or offsetting penalties and 45 penalties given up just in defensive coverage. Uh, Florida would give up a total of 104 total penalties for a total of 918 yards. I mean, most good, decent running backs in the SEC don't even rush for that much yardage in a year, almost. So penalties are a huge concern for this team, and we've heard Jay Bateman and Patrick Tony allude to penalties being a big emphasis on this team. And we've also heard Napier saying he wants one penalty every 30 plays, and, and he said he wants those penalties to be undisciplined penalties as well. So. A small improvement from a penalty aspect, making other teams work for their points, like he said, is going to be a huge emphasis this coming year as well. Let's talk about field goal percentage now. This is another key into winning, especially these close games, or even just getting three points on the board instead of electing to take zero if you can't make it to the red zone or to get a touchdown. Uh, Florida was 10 of 15. They were 66.7% it field goal percentage last year, which actually isn't really good. I mean, they were three or four on, on kicks between 20 and 29 yards, four for four, which is actually good for 30 to 39 yards, two for four on field goals, ranging from the 40 to 49 yard range and one of three in field goals of ranging 50 plus yards or more so. Just even getting that field goal percentage up to maybe 85% and, uh, you know, electing to get three instead of zero or having to go forward on fourth down and probably not even getting any points. But we've seen Florida go forward on fourth down in the red zone and score a little bit, but it wasn't really a lot last year, so... You know, just improving field goal percentage itself will also help this team out. And with Trey Smack coming in here being this big five-star kicker from Coles Kicking, the number fifth-ranked kicker in the nation, hopefully he can shore up some of those uh, nasty field goals, especially ones we saw in the spring game, which really didn't look that well. And I didn't even mention just converting some of these field goals into touchdowns. I mean, you get there to the red zone and, and you score a touchdown instead of a field goal. Some of these close games, like maybe an Alabama game that was 29-31 to last year, helped you win that game. Or even just having a good field goal kicker would have helped you win the Alabama game as well. So you take some of these little, just little itty-bitty takeaways and little small, vast improvements, man, can really help this football team out here in the 2022 season. And here's another food for thought thing. Florida last year, their defense was pretty good the first six games Florida average giving away 16.5 points per game the first six games I said this in the Blake Alderman interview I mean after those six games and you saw the energy kind of die off and the passion kind of die off from the players and the coach making excuses and you saw you know his mannerisms and press conferences and how his attitude was Dan Mullen didn't really he looked like he was out of it he just didn't even care Florida gave up 35.5 points per game after that sixth game, after that win to Vanderbilt. I mean, if you just have more passion, more energy, and a simpler defense, Florida's defense could probably be pretty good this year. I, I personally, and I've talked to David Waters, I've talked to a lot of guys outside of this, and I said, I'm pretty high on Florida's defense. I mean, if if Patrick Tony can clear up the defensive penalties, the mistakes back there. It prove a little bit on the missed tackles and the yards after the catch after these missed tackles and just the little things. Florida's defense could be elite. Florida has the talent. We've seen what they recruited at linebacker. I mean, granted, you, you might say, oh, we don't really have death. Derek Wingo, Dewan Black, Ventro Miller coming back, Shamar James turning heads in practice, Devin Moore, a, a kid that was – 23 miles per hour runner. I mean, this, this Florida's got talent on defense. Jason Marshall, he's coming back. One of the highest graded corners on PFF. Like, you have the talent on defense. Put them in a good position to win. Cut down on the small mistakes. This could take this defense really far into 2022. So, think about that first before you jump to judgment and saying that, well, Florida, they're going to go six and six, seven and five. Look, you improve some of these mistakes from last year, that record is going to look way better than six and six and seven and five. And that's just my take on, it. and I'm not even mentioning offense right now. I mean, offensively, you had a lot of mistakes last year. I mean, you had more penalties on offense and false starts that I could even count on fingers, toes and everything else. And you, you had more penalties on offense than the defense did. So, You know, getting rid of those false starts. I mean, I loved what I saw in the spring game. I think there was only a total of six total penalties the whole spring game, which is an improvement. You didn't see 12, you saw six. So they, I mean, you cut it down at least like half of what we've seen just in the football fields. You you, you make it to where teams have to earn their points, like Billy Dapier said. This team could be good. As I said, Florida, 16.5 points per game. The first six games when the energy was really high, the players were wanting to come out and win. You keep that same energy with those players. I mean, you lost Kyer or Elam, but you have Jason Marshall coming back. You have good guys on the other side of that football corner. This team could be pretty good on defense this year. So take that for what you will. Cut out some of these mistakes. Get this team going. Get them motivated. Get them energized. Get them disciplined. Florida's going to be a better team than 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. Granted, if they stay healthy, that's a bigger issue now. And I, and I understand why some publications out there has this team going six, six, seven, and five because they're just question marks, especially when it concerns the depth. But, man, I'm telling you, this team stays healthy for the most part and plays disciplined play. They're going to be pretty good, and that's just my take on it. But we will break that all down next week. I will have on David Waters to preview the Utah game, the big game that is sold out. Here in the Swamp. So a little Dave and Dave next week. I know all you folks love it when both Daves get together for a discussion and me and him will break down the showdown with the Utah Utes in the Swamp coming in less than two weeks. But, folks, that will do it for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.